Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller and this week I am joined for a post-budget special by uh, Tony Grew, uh, Westminster Watcher extraordinaire. Hello. Is that a fair title? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you were slagging me off in the lift, but if you're going to, that's fine. Oh, no, only because you didn't know the exact corner of the Port Colours house to find Ailey's office. So that's true. Uh, that would be the sign of a real Westminster watcher. I'm just some um, sort of fraud, that's right. And uh, also by Ailey Whiteford, SNP MP for Bantford Buchan, and the party's shadow spokesman for, or I suppose just the party's spokesman. Spokesperson, for, <laughs> spokesperson, James. Oh, I've put spokes because I was going to say spokesperson for uh, the Department of Working Pensions. Did you know, Good morning. actually talking about Parliamentary Geeks, that on the Parliament website it lists all of the DUP uh, spokespeople as spokespersons, even though they're all men? There you go. I, I never know. I'm never sure about a spokesperson. It's a, it's a, I, I like it as a word, as a, as a concept, but as a newspaper man, I've never been, ever been allowed to use it. So I think my problem Why is... Why not? Because for whatever reason, the newspapers I've worked for have always said it's got to be spokesman or spokeswoman. So I don't understand that. But the SNP So male normativity. Well, it can be spokeswoman. It's, it's, more, yeah, it's yeah. more a style guide. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's wrong. But the really annoying thing is the SNP always send their, their press releases with spokesperson. Yeah. And then when you cut and paste that into your story, you have to change it to spokesman and spokeswoman. So I think that's my problem with spokesperson. As a concept, I think it's great. There we go. <laughs> uh, and let's start with, I've dusted this off. I hope it still works. It's uh, this old jingle. It's the budget in review. It does. It's the old budget in review. I haven't had that out for a while. Uh, yes. a year, I'd imagine. Uh, well, yeah, you're probably right, actually. <laughs> um, Kurt Hammond's first spring budget yesterday. Um, overall, Ailey, impressed, not impressed? Not very impressed, because there's no rollback on austerity at all. And mm-hmm. it's still going to cost Scotland £2.9 billion in cuts. Um, most of those cuts are being felt by people in the lower half of the income distribution. It's working families that are still being punished. It's disabled people who are still paying the price for 10 years of Tory austerity. So, you know, I think even even the crumbs from the rich man's table we got in Barnet Consequentials yesterday won't compensate for that money that's coming out of the pockets of people on low and average paid jobs. Uh, Tony, good, bad and different of all the budgets you've Well, seen? I think it, it, it reminds me, uh, Alistair Carmichael said uh, yesterday that a budget that's held on Wednesday can be damned by Sunday. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's seen in quite a few budgets where, where, that's, uh, where basically it goes through a process of unravelling. Um, I think the thing that surprised me most is that the government's decided to launch what appears to be um, you know, a tax rise... Uh, on uh, self-employed people and that has excited Tory MPs in a way that I don't think they were expecting. Um, There's a lot of concern amongst Tory MPs about what they see as raising taxes on the sort of backbone of Britain, which is which is the hundreds of thousands, millions of small businesses across yeah, the country. Yeah, that was a big surprise. It was a real it? surprise, Ailey, and it was the people that were most surprised were Tory MPs. Yeah, let's start with that, because you could tell that was going to be trouble, because the Tory benches sat there quietly as he announced it, and you could see them all going, uh, what? Mm-hmm. Um, how big a problem is it going to be? Is he going to... Well, it's going to be through? it's going to be a big problem in areas like mine, you know, in rural Aberdeenshire, where there's lots of people who are self-employed. And I think with the downturn in the oil sector recently, mm. there's been lots of people who've maybe been paid off there or not getting as much work as they were as contractors have set up their own business, have tried to be self-employed. It does seem to be kind of 
you know, punishing a group of voters that they should be trying to attract, you would have thought, but, um, you know. There is something strange about this self-employed, though, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about the, self- the self-employed. Um, I mean, for example, in your constituency, presumably that covers your highly paid oil industry consultants Some down to them, your, yeah. you know, white van men, window cleaners and, yeah. and all the rest and of I it. think it's, you know, it's those people who will probably feel most aggrieved by this because they're not earning big mm. megabucks. They're, you know, earning fairly unregular uh, earnings as well. You know, they yeah. don't really know from one week to ne- the next how they're, how they're going to get on. And some of those people will also be employing other people. Um, you know, I think those small businesses... You know, most people in Scotland are working for a small business one way or another, and uh, you know it, it's it's what the impact might be further down the line. But certainly, I know we do have a disproportionate number of self-employed people, so you I'm sure they won't them, be too happy this morning. You might call them just about managings. Well, some of them will be, and obviously, some of them are doing well. But you, you know, um, it, it it seems a strange. It's a very counterintuitive kind yeah. of move. It's also uh, ideologically completely. Um, it makes absolutely no sense uh, for the Conservatives to do this. These are the people. That most conservative MPs in our society, you know, lionise in speeches. These are the people. Mm. These are the strivers. These are the people that go out and, and form businesses. These are people that take the risks, um, often with their own property or with their own money, to form a business. Those those people should be supported. Now the government's turning around um, and directly hitting them and taxing them. Now the, the government's position is that um, it's basically losing income tax revenue because people are going self-employed and um, therefore they feel the government feels it's not getting enough out of those people but those but hold on those are the, those are also the people who work um you know without sick pay without holiday pay yes. they're not employed by people they are as Ailey points out often themselves employers micro employers maybe only employ mm. one person so th- for well, me that's the, where the growth comes from of course exactly and, and so for a conservative party to do that is is stunning and the thing that struck me most in the budget debate yesterday was the you know the government's ideological bedfellows the dup absolutely hate it Completely stood up and completely denounced it for all the reasons I've just set out, that it's not a conservative thing to do. Um, is there not a couple of issues with it? One being that the reason they're losing out income tax, the reason more people are going self-employed, is just the changing nature of the employment market, that people don't have jobs for life and all the rest of it. Um, you know, they lose jobs, especially if it's later in life, and then there's an option to become a consultant or whatever, or, you know, some sort of specialist, and become self-employed. So it's not really... It's not that people are choosing necessarily. Well, Everyone's going to be self-employed, it's brilliant, not having any benefits. You're saying Let's people do it. also going back to their trades. You know, people have maybe been yeah. working offshore yeah. with electrical qualifications or other kind of mm-hmm. pro- professional skills, yeah. and they're coming back and setting up a wee business to to. Um, but isn't that partly because they've been skills. laid off in the, yeah. the huge you yeah. know, upheaval in the oil industry recently? Exactly. It's not but, not a choice that people are making necessarily. No, no, I think you're right. I think it's very much a, a kind of. Um, Necessity yeah. for a lot of people how they can how they can find yeah. gainful employment and earn a living. If this is supposed to be a major restructuring of the way in which the government deals with taxation in the gig economy, they've completely arsed it up. If they wanted to have that conversation, they should have been flagging it for months, but they yeah. haven't been. They've just dropped this sneaky rise on people without dealing with some of the structural issues that there. There are people that are forced, as it were, to become self-employed by employers. Attack employers mm. is my response to that. Go for them, not for the people who are struggling. 
you know, uh, you know, who, who do not have any of the accesses to the benefits that people would expect or m may well in the future not expect, but the, the moment we expect people to have through their employers. If it's employers that are causing the situation, if it's employers that are driving people uh, because they don't want to have to pay their national insurance and they don't want to have to take them on as, employer, uh, as employees, then what you do is you deal with that at that source and yeah. not hit self-employed people. So That's what's the, the ideology. What's the politics of this? Will it happen? Oh, that's fifty million dollar question. I mean, we've seen previous budgets, yeah. uh, you know, roll back, roll back, roll back on all the all the key commitments. I mean, there's that budget of George Osborne's where there was the caravan stuff and the pub stuff. Only yeah, shambles, yeah. Yeah, and you know, by by the weekend, it was nearly all gone. <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe we'll just have to wait and see if there's any, you know, it's rebellion the Tories, on the back benches. Exactly, it's and you don't need that many Tories because clearly you guys in the SNP are going to uh, oppose it. The Labour Party. Are going to oppose it, although apparently there's some Labour characters suggesting it actually makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, well, they're not exactly known for message discipline. Well, that is true. There uh, you go. Even if the Tories chums in Northern Ireland are against it, is there enough backbench rebels? Do we think? Well, there's a lot going on. Uh, not, you know, there's a lot going on in terms of the government's got a lot of things it needs to to get done in the next week or so, including Article 50. What I do know is that. Um, the Chancellor went to the 1922 committee, which is a meeting of Tory MPs, and that was pretty much the only thing that was raised with him. Now that's going to set off yeah. alarm bells. I think we'll have a better understanding of that probably by Monday or Tuesday, because by Monday or Tuesday, Tory MPs will have been back to their constituencies. Okay. And let's hear what their constituents have to say about it. But the reason I mentioned the DUP is because you're right, the government has a small moment as a working majority of 17. Um, it can nearly always rely on the eight votes of the DUP and that's why I mentioned them because it's really significant that they've lost that support and that makes it much more difficult for them. But as I say, it depends on how uh, Tory MPs, if they start to panic, if they start to say, in, in numbers, okay. start to say they don't want it, then it's in trouble. Yeah. Um, the other thing around bit is, why do we lionise white van man so much? Why are the papers so obsessed with white van man? As far as I can see, white van man <laughs> brings all my parcels at Christmas, trashes them, leaves them out in the rain, parks across my drive. What is so special about white van man? Well, because he doesn't seem. I don't particularly like white van man. Doesn't seem like somebody I particularly well want the, to hang around with. In my experience, well, that's because you're a left wing. I would say left wing. Left. Okay. Well, I'll try and explain. It's a really simple, basic thing in politics. Right. It's called marginal seats. Okay. Um, so white van man is is what we're really talking about is all the uh, you know self traders, all those people that we talked about, the entrepreneurs that are supposed to be the core of the appeal of the Tory party across Middle England, and that's why you're hearing about white van man because it appears that the the government has betrayed its own supporters. Yeah, right. yeah I remember thing. Emily Thornberry and her gaffe with the white van and the drive yeah. after the football match and the flags. Because she was classic metropolitan liberal yeah. elites. and now she's back in the shadow cabinet, so that didn't. <laughs> Didn't do any harm. Um, Ily, you mentioned the crumbs from the table. Three hundred and fifty million Scotland's getting. That's not crumbs, is it? Well, against the two point nine billion that we're losing over the period, and you know, most of that is coming out of people's pockets. It's coming out of low-paid families' pockets. It's coming out of particularly cuts to tax credits, cuts to disability support. So you know that that's that's not good. That's holding back just the welfare of people. I mean, the IFS published a report just earlier this month hmm. about child poverty and they're expecting it to rise to about 30% um, and that yeah, well, that can't be good for the long term future so but 350 million is better than nothing oh, of course it's better than nothing come on you know you take, you take what you can but uh, it does feel a wee bit like Deves and Lazarus um, and you mentioned the figures uh, I don't understand these statistics partly because they always seem to be wrong 
um, the, the, the forecasts and I mean they're in the right ballpark but you know they're not so special that well, I think I think there's a difference the there's a difference between um, the forecast figures which yeah are always guesstimates yeah. and the the money that's actually been allocated to the budget which is a bit more predictable yeah um, and obviously it's subject subject to change at different different mm-hmm. budgets but you know you kind of know what's coming down the line um, uh, you know that those are, I think, more solid figures. But yeah, the rest of it's a bit of a crystal ball. You yeah, never know, course. and they go up and down these forecasts, and but they're yeah. not always right. You just have to hope that they give a, a mm. direction of travel. Exactly, you know, the OBR they're, forecasts have they're held up as gospel. It's notoriously wrong. Yeah, it's this sort of oh look, they've said that we're going to be up two yeah. percent next year, and then they'll come around in a year's time. Well, and go, who knows? Because let's face it, the big elephant in the in the room yesterday was none of us really know what's going to happen to the economy when we walk over the cliff edge of the. Of leaving the EU without a trade deal in place. Um, we can yeah. make a fairly intelligent guess about what's going to happen to the economy. The economy. <laughs> Again, well, we can guess the know, direction of travel. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And you know, every every economist I've I've yeah. seen is saying that it, it's going to be pretty rocky. And you know, they, they vary yeah. in their estimates of the the cut in GDP. But you know, that that was you know a huge silence around that yesterday. Why would Philip Hammond use the word Brexit? He didn't say it in his budget at all, didn't even seem to refer to it. And when I heard him on the radio this morning, he didn't use it. He talks about leaving the EU on Britain's bright future or whatever. Is he a bit toxic for them? It pulls badly. Yeah. That's why. So Um, there is a reason to it. Yes, it's not just it pulls badly. So so don't say the word. Ah, okay. Um, Why did he ignore it completely as an issue? Because I think his head's in the sand (laughs) like an ostrich. That seems the only obvious explanation. I mean, I'm not here to defend him, but I imagine he would. He would say that he's setting out budget measures for for the next period of time. We're about to enter into a negotiation process that's going to take two years. Um, that's not to say that there may not be economic effects on the UK during the negotiation process, especially considering how unstable um, Europe is compared to the UK's uh, in terms of politics. So. I guess the reason he didn't mention it is because he, he feels that he's talking about domestic spending at this period and the period that we're about to go through, and that isn't a Brexit period, that's a negotiation period. And so the effects that economists have predicted, and by the way, economists spend their time predicting effects, and most of the time they're wrong, because I actually remember, because I remember the referendum campaign and the, and the levels of mince that was talked about about how we need an emergency budget as soon as we... Oh, well, no, no, hold on. Uh, Sorry. So, no, I raise it because economic credibility is very, very low. The credibility of economists, certainly in my mind, is extremely low. They, they you know, Mystic Megan or Crystal Ball would have been more used to us than some of these economists. Well, I'm not going to defend economists, but there's a problem here in that the Remainers said everything's going to go to hell in a handcuff. The Remainers are now in charge, and people like Carney and Hammond are taking measures to avoid going to hell in a handcart, I mean, or at least ameliorate going to hell in a handcart, which allows the Brexiteers to go, look, we told you it was going to be fine, when actually it's measures taken. But it's, it's not happened yet. No, don't exactly. Know. I mean, what we have seen is this huge fall in the pound, and we're seeing rising inflation, and, you know, I've said to various people, anyone who's pushing a trolley around a supermarket yes. is starting to see that, you know, prices are going yeah. up really dramatically for certain things, you know, yeah. for imported commodities. Mm-hmm. And... You know, everyone who actually is out there having to budget for, for feeding people is, is noticing that. Yeah. Um, we should be seeing a huge rise in exports because of the weakness of the pound, and we're just not. 
Uh, and Lego. Lego is really expensive now. <laughs> Lego, has, Lego has noticeably gone up in price since the start of the year. Uh, obviously, I, mean, I don't eat Lego, but it's not just stuff that you eat. Um, let's knock off some other things in the budget. Uh, we've got to mention oil, because you have mentioned it's obviously big in your area. And he said, yeah, oil, whatever. Yeah, he basically said the same thing that was said last year that they would do and they didn't do. So I hope they really mean it this time. Is there a sort of fundamental issue? Is it, uh, the budgets I've seen, they always seem to sort of go, yeah, oil, uh, without really getting to grips with yeah. what's going on in the oil industry, and which think, is pretty massive, really. Yeah, and, you know, I think that the oil industry is saying slightly more positive things than they were this time mm-hmm. yeah. last year. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think the whole energy sector is really in quite a lot of difficulty you know, and all the um, mm. cuts to I think 95% cuts in the budget for renewable energy you know if if we take climate change at all seriously we need to be looking at, at renewable energy and my neck of the woods you know there's a lot of jobs in renewables that and a lot of potential for renewables it, particularly off offshore renewables mm-hmm. that you know is really placed in jeopardy because of this I mean we missed out on our carbon capture money oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. promised you know it was promised in 2014 it was promised the time before that and you know now now yeah. you know there's real question marks over the future there and you know, we at some point we're going to have to do carbon capture and yeah. we could have been ahead with that technology so it's a huge missed opportunity I mean, that was sort of typical of the, the approach in a way is that they kept talking about it but you never got the feeling that there was actually they believed in it it always felt like this was something that Again, sort of, well, well, that'll keep them happy. We'll talk about that for a bit. Yeah, you always got the feeling that it was. Other people uh, are doing it now, and we still have the potential to do that in the North Sea. So I hope at some point, you know, we will be able to revive those plans. But the problem is now it's going to be difficult to get companies to take take any government yeah, seriously, sure, because they've backed away from it so many times. Um, Iron Brew, Iron Brew's new uh, new recipe that came up, the fizzy drink stacks, because he's not going to make any money out of fizzy drinks apparently. Well, uh, but you know, isn't it isn't it good that the formulas are starting to change for you know, and you notice it with well, any mixers and soft drinks that more and more they're not putting so much sugar in because it is a health hazard and well, it doesn't solve your teeth. I mean, well, it, it can't change the taste of iron brew. I quite often drink diet iron brew anyway. So can you tell the difference? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? But it's too sweet. It's really too sugary. Some sort of too sweet. video thing of this. I remember once doing this with <laughs> Michelle Moan claimed that she could tell the difference between diet iron brew and real iron brew. She failed the test. Um, what else we got? Uh, education and social care. Well, that's what English. I mean, one of the things I did notice is there's a lot of English measures in the budget. It was noticeable, you know, the amount of. And yeah. you'll disagree and say there's not enough devolution or all the rest of it. But it's noticeable how much is now devolved. I mean, I think the thing about social care is, you know, just the contrast. Really, you know, when you look at what Scotland did years ago in terms of free personal care. That's one of the reasons why our NHS is not in the kind of chaos that the NHS is in down here, because we don't have the same pressure. I mean, we've got the same structural problems of the ageing population, yeah. but we're, you know, the, the, the fact that our A&Es are outperforming the rest of the UK is partly because we've got our, a social care system that is much more equipped to help support people at home. And even for people who are, um, are in care or living at home with support, it's, it's helping people stay at home longer. It, it, it's making a huge difference and you, you know I think I think this whole attempt that's just kicking off in England 
try and get health boards and local authorities working more closely together. Mm. In Scotland, we're already seeing, and I know you know NHS Grampian are saying this publicly, that delayed discharges are down significantly because of the work that's already gone on in integration in Scotland. Now, that's not a seamless process. It's no. not an easy process, but it really has to start. And those public agencies need to be working better together. So um, I wish them well, but they're well behind the curve on this. There are those in Scotland who would say that the NHS is in chaos, same as it is in England. And it's not about comparing well, to England or like, yeah, I mean, the, you know, Anna Sawa would be chief amongst yeah, them. Yeah, but, but the figures don't uh, bear that out. You know, our, our A&E figures um, are, you know, 10% adrift of, of England's in terms of how long people are waiting to be seen. You mm. know, our, our, our waiting times are, are less, you know, it's not the point perfect. Make, is it's, it? it's not about comparing Under pressure. Exactly. But, you know, it, it, it's, it, nevertheless, you know, joining up health and social care is something we need to do and we need to do it quickly because of the because of the demographics uh, and it's you know it's not perfect but you know we've got a very good head start on the rest of the UK on that. Um, a couple of other things you mentioned was five million five just five million which hardly seems worth mentioning in a budget speech but still for returnships which is a good idea which is helping women back into the workplace after having children but a terrible word I think. Yeah well and but five million exactly. if you divide How that by that the number of women coming back that might pay their bus fare on the first yeah, day. Well, yeah, do it. It's um, hardly anything. Five million for commemorating the representation of the people at 2018 next year, uh, which again, I don't know how far that will go, but presumably is welcome, um, especially given your Change Her Story bill that went through a few couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. all sort of, I mean, I'm, yeah. I I'm mean, very was, tangentially throwing it all was, in together, <laughs> but it's, it's, there's a connection and, there you know, the, There was the re-announcement of the... Um, new domestic violence legislation in England and Wales yes. as well, which we've still not really heard the detail on, but I really hope that that will be an opportunity for some of the things that the government need to do in order to become compliant with the Istanbul Convention. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a vehicle for that for that to happen. I'll certainly be and there's a lot more that. money for that. Well, well I mean, there's right, 20 million or something. But there, there, well, it's, it, if, if, um, if the detail of the budget is to be believed, then, then yeah, there should be money to help do that because there's a job of work there to do and a need for more consistency and strategy across the UK. Um, just on that domestic violence bill, um, was that fun? Facing down, oh. we were talking about Philip Davis in the last oh, no, couple of podcasts. That was, that was so dull. The worst I could call him was a bam pop on air, but it is, I could think it it was just such a distraction from the real issues and the real issues are that so many people are living in danger of their lives and so many people need support and access to services. And, you know, the bill was an attempt to highlight those issues, and I'm sorry that it was so mm. so um, shortened and scuppered and dominated by one person who loves the sound of his own voice. But, uh, you know, the bill's going to the House of Lords tomorrow and on Friday, and, okay. um, you know, I hope that the Lords, there won't be the same sort of shenanigans and... Not the busting and nonsense uh, not that you get in the comments. Not until Philip Davis is ennobled, obviously. <laughs> uh, do you like Philip Davis? Is he you a fan of his? I mean, you know, I think that he does about the sound of his own voice, but he would argue that he's just doing procedure and I, all that sort of stuff. Well, two things. First of all, I don't think he should be able to get anything through the Commons unopposed, and I don't think it's 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 good for democracy for everyone to pretend that everyone agrees all the time. And I think that a lot of the I'm going to put Ailey's bill to one side, not just because she's here, but obviously because I think it's important that the Istanbul Convention is ratified by the UK. But two things. First of all, private members' bills are often used for a lot of halo polishing uh, and virtue signalling and saying, look how amazing I am. And secondly, um, 
I think that the focus of the hate on Philip Davies ignores the, the greater structural issue with private members' bills, which is that the government doesn't like your bill, they'll kill it. And that's how our parliament works. Mm-hmm. The government's responsible for, for public spending. The government decides what bills get through and don't, and that applies to private members' bills as much as anyone else. And the other thing I'd say is that some of these private members' bills are... I remember there was an outrage over him uh, blocking, having making first aid a compulsory thing that had to be taught at schools. Yeah. Right? And there was all this outrage about that. First of all, adding things to the curriculum, constantly adding things to the curriculum just makes teachers' jobs more difficult. And second of all, that has significant financial consequences. So, you know, that, that is something that on the face of it looks like a really good idea. But actually, if you're the government, you probably don't want to add more complication to the curriculum. And if people want to teach their children first aid voluntarily, they should be encouraged to do so. Uh, but, you know, it, these things are framed as how this is the most amazing thing in the world. And people stand up and say things like, oh, well, the Red Cross supports this. And you think, what, the biggest private provider of first aid training in the country supports a bill that would make first aid training compulsory. How strange. First aid in school seems entirely sensible. Right, okay. How many teachers will you need to train? How much is that going to cost? Well, that's not point. At what point thing. in the well, no, sorry. At what point money. in the school year are you going to put the time aside for that? You're making this a statutory requirement in schools. I think that's far, Christmas. far too much. Always Christmas games at Christmas anyway. So okay. have, have, make well, it last week all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, week. all I'm saying is, Philip Davies. Um, whilst I understand why people find him frustrating, and by the way, the House of Commons needs to change those procedures. If he didn't filibuster it. If the government didn't want it, they just filibuster it. So he's a focus of rage, but it, it masks the larger structural problem I, of private members' bills. I agree with you about private members' bills. I think, you know, they desperately need reformed and, you know, that process. I know it's something the Procedures Committee's been looking at. Yeah, yeah. And it's just trying to get anything changed around here. It's just like wading <laughs> through mud. It's so arcane and people are so wedded to the way we've ID'd it. And that just doesn't doesn't um, help us move forward at all. But so it's, it's, it's really frustrating for all of us. But I do think um, talking things out, filibustering and using these esoteric and arcane mm-hmm. processes to scupper things that actually the overwhelming view of people is that this would be a progressive move is it's just indulgent. Yeah, as I said, I think it it needs reform, but I don't want anyone to go away from this podcast under the impression that MPs can generate legislation and against the government's will make it into law. No, no, no. You need to build consensus and find common ground um, if you want to get it anywhere. I mean, you know, you and I know, we know a bit more about Parliament than James, so we know the reality of it. But I do get the sense that people out there may think that, you know, it's some sort of Hollywood movie type thing and a plucky MP can bring forward a legislation. Yeah, but you I, I think if you've got the numbers, if you built the, the alliances. Have you met the whips? Yeah, but the, the, the yeah. thing is, you know, part of the reason, I said this in the chamber, yeah. but part of the reason that the government supported my bill was that there was a huge swell of civil society yeah. mm-hmm. activists Absolutely. who were badgering them to do yeah. it. And, you know, I think on a lot of these progressive issues, that's exactly how it happens. Yeah. It's people push Parliament. Totally. Parliament doesn't, yeah. you know, yeah. just yeah. because you've got Absolutely. a worthy idea that you yeah. want to push forward, people won't support it because of that. It's got to, there's got to be a little bit of a stick there. And too. I'm not exactly, and I'm not saying that the government can't be persuaded to yeah. support something. I'm just saying the bottom line is if the government decides they don't want it, then that's that. Um, and Philip Davies. Bro- and just just one final thing, it shouldn't shouldn't be easy to change the law. It should take a bit of effort and a bit of time and a bit of discussion. But the processes we have at the moment both um, don't work and stink and make MPs and Parliament look really bad. So, you know, reform so is needed. We can agree that private members' bills, uh, mechanisms need to change and that Philip Davis is actually a bad pop. 
No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a vampire. I think he's... Oh, I, well, I'd call him something else. I think he's at, times, at times I think he's misguided, but I think that's just the typical liberal lefty view of someone who has strong conservative convictions. That's fine. You're welcome to that opinion. It's wrong. Um, right, having reduced this to the... You should uh, hear what the women in the Tory party say about him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, having reduced this to the, uh, the level of personalities, let's knock off yesterday's performances at the budget. Philip Hammond and his jokes... Wow, that was amazing. Surprising, wasn't it? I thought when he started talking about Norman Lamont, he was sailing a wee bit close to the wind. I thought if I was him, I would not be saying that. Yes, this was what Norman Lamont was the last person to get rid of spring budget, and then he got sacked. Yeah, he got sacked. You know, just be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I agree with Ellie. I thought that was that was that was a little bit, um, you know, playing with fire. You know, it was (laughs) tempting fate. It was one immediately afterwards. I I mean, his jokes were genuinely surprised because he's known as you know a box office film because he's really boring and all the rest of it, and he made. Quite good jokes. He certainly delivered them a lot better than I've seen many politicians deliver jokes. Yeah, it was but, good. I mean, it was um, good. And yeah, you know, he's getting... he struggles with delivery yes. jokes, oh, actually. God, yeah. um, but he's a victim of hubris, isn't it? Because he's made jokes and now everyone's you now know, everyone he's on the radio. Everyone, <laughs> well, just everyone now today, everyone's going, yeah, don't tell the joke. They will tell us why you broke your manifesto pledge and it's all not looking quite so funny and clever, is it? I just avoid jokes. Well, what, in general? In, in general. Yeah. <laughs> There's no joy here. <laughs> yeah. Careful. Um, so what did I think? Are you going to ask me what I thought of John McDonald's performance? No, sorry, it, it wasn't him. It was, it Jeremy, was Jeremy Corbyn's Corbyn. performance. Yes, Jeremy Corbyn um, was rubbish. I'd, I'd left the chamber, so I don't know. Sorry. Oh, no, you saw the beginning of it, didn't you? Because we, we were talking while he was speaking, weren't we? About well, it didn't, it didn't make any impression on me. Uh, did you see Jeremy Corbyn's I, You know efforts? what? I, I always thought in the last parliament you know when Jeremy Corbyn was speaking from the back benches he was always very measured he was always very yeah. coherent he was always very dignified and I suppose it's maybe just the very different experience of being at the dispatch box it, it you know he doesn't it's not an easy comfortable transition for him at all he was he was a really good backbencher and yeah. actually McDonald I used to think was one of the best yeah. speakers in the house from the back benches but it's it's yeah. it's not their natural no, he got Not very so up, and it's all sort of slightly yeah. false, and it's well, it's, it's melodramatic. You know, the whole thing is so theatrical and, yeah. and pantomime, and really, you know, they're both they're both quite serious people, and yes. they're both quite dignified people in in yeah. in their previous parliamentary career. But they're neither of them terribly comfortable in that scenario. Yeah. Well, with look with Corbyn at the dispatch box, the Corbyn in, in the Commons, it always reminds me of that quote about you know an empty taxi pulled up and Clement Attlee stepped out. It's like Ooh. that. It's, you're not. They're not even there. They barely exist. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, they could. They could you're be a ghost. Clement Attlee right here because that's no. a whole different podcast. No, I'm doing a quote. Yeah, I know, but you don't <laughs> want to bring up quotes like in Clement Attlee. Oh, sorry, I hadn't realised that you're a Clement fanboy. Oh, who isn't a Clement Attlee? Theresa May's a Clement Attlee fan. He's on the way up. Everybody's okay. writing books about him, aren't they? There's been like, loads of biographies in the last few years. <laughs> Clement Attlee is the coming force in politics. <laughs> heard it here first. Okay. Um, Maybe the ghost of Clement Attlee can rescue the Labour Party. Something like that. Uh, well, you never know. When uh, Donald Trump does his war, and you know we're all in a post-war world, if he just died, there'll be a space for an Attlee-esque rebuilding of the country. Okay, the country um, will be led by a ghost after Trump's oh, war, right, is yeah. the conclusion of that. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> the person we've forgotten about the uh, budget response is Stuart Hosey, who you tweeted saying was very good. It's a bit like PMQs when we go, uh, oh, Angus Robertson was better than Jeremy Corbyn, which, to be well, fair, no, isn't saying much. Hosey was undoubtedly better than Corbyn. Listen, when when the SNP were six, when in the last parliament, when there's just a six, you nearly was one of those six, um, Stuart Hosey, as long as I've been um, uh, in Parliament, which is since uh, 2009, um, 
has always had this brilliant ability to forensically take apart budgets and financial statements and, and the finances in a way that I find very impressive because I don't have that sort of brain. But it's not just about um, attack and it's not just about partisanship. He actually understands this. And I know that sounds like a terrible yeah, thing to yeah. say, but the vast majority of MPs and journalists do not understand the budget. I do not understand it. I mean, I vaguely understand what it is, but I don't understand the nuts and bolts. And so, yeah, one, as I said, uh, well, what I said is my favourite budget tradition is watching Stuart Hosey rip, the, rip it apart about an hour after it's been because <laughs> yeah. he, he literally forensically does that. But I'm not saying that in the whole sort of, aren't the SNP wonderful because there's so many of them now, or, you know, they've really yeah. up the game. He's always done that. And I only, I only mention that because as, as, as the spokesman on the economy for the third party, he gets a big chunk of time. But mm. in previous parliament, he didn't yeah. get that. He was, he was in one of only six and he was still able to just forensically take it a bit. So it's, it's something I'm always impressed by, and it comes from expertise, and, and you know, I'm sure he'd have that expertise no matter what party he was in. Yeah, yeah, I think he knows what he's talking about, and it was a really solid performance, but it is just that huge difference now that we, we get the time. Yeah. You know, he's not in a time limit. He's, yeah. he's able to respond as spokesperson for the third party. It makes a massive difference. And people as well. I mean, because, as you say, previously it was six, and all right, he wasn't doing it alone, but... Now he's got a massive treasury team, which is always <laughs> quite amusing to see him yeah. surrounded by. And they're good people, you know. He's got whatever Callum King doing the oil stuff, or yeah. Roger Mullen just doing whatever Roger Mullen does, which is generally good and mischievous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's got good people around him. But it's um, but it's as I said, it's a budget tradition for me. Yeah, to see um, what Stuart, Stuart well, see what Stuart Hosey's going to find is wrong with it, and then, <laughs> and, then and then just you know rip the whole thing to bits. But it does beg the question of why Corbyn doesn't have that. You know, I appreciate it really does have slightly more time to, to go through it. It's not that but, well, but only a few not, minutes. Yeah, only yeah, the exactly. time that Corbyn has. It's a really um, fast turnaround. Why hasn't Corbyn got backroom boys and girls going through it very quickly? <laughs> because you know at the last budget saying to him that what about the next thing? The person the person who's sitting on the end of the row is told to run out and get copies for everybody. Yeah. And last time it was <coughs> Kirsty Blackman who went out and asked for fifteen copies. And they said to her, what do you need 15 for? She said, I'm going to stand on them. So <laughs> <laughs> the reason, that, the, the really quick answer to that is that um, all the really talented people that worked for the Labour Party, for the party, all left because they, because, and, and left because it was made clear to them that they were Blairites and that they weren't welcome in the party and that as party workers, they were all going to be cleared out and replaced with idiots. So that's why he doesn't have the support that he should have as leader of the opposition. And the second reason he doesn't have support is because anyone who actually knows about the economy and understands economics is sitting three rows behind him because they've refused to serve in the shadow cabinet. Yeah, okay. Um, it's not that the Labour Party doesn't have tons of really smart people that know how to take apart a budget. Go and listen to Rachel Reeves' speech. It's just that they're all on the back benches. Uh, indeed. Uh, maybe they'll try and poach Stuart Hosey. That'd be good. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I don't think Stuart's going for that one. Hello, Stuart. Would you like to join the Scottish <laughs> Labour Party? Yeah, that's going to go yeah, really well. Big money transfers in politics. Be this is how rumours start. <laughs> <laughs> I've of all the places Stuart's going, I don't think a Corbynite Labour Party is the no. one that he would move to naturally. Um, let us finish off with uh, I love your questions when the jingle turns like this. Cool. Those jingles. The jazzy jingle. I know. The jazzy La La Land inspired jingle. Um, <laughs> which should have won the Oscar. I have now seen Moonlight after last week. And it's oh, better. is it good? Uh, Moonlight's meh. Really? I mean, La La Land's not brilliant, but it's quite good fun. I've not seen it. I saw Moonlight, yet. I was like, oh, is that it? I saw um, Trainspotting, so I thought it was good. Oh, yeah, I didn't go see that. Hated Trainspotting. 
Um, if you don't like Moonlight, you're some sort of something wrong with you. And La La Land's just a bit of fluff. Uh, well, yeah, but it's a good bit of fluff. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I love your okay, questions. We're going to get into this afterwards. What, film reviews? If you think a, yeah, a right. groundbreaking story about the experiences of a black gay man is worth winning an Oscar is worth less than some bit of fluff with two white people in it, then we're going to have to have a conversation later. Fine, it is the Barack Obama of films, that's what I think. Um, I'm going to have to see it now. Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's creating this controversy. It's the Barack, Barack Obama of films because it shows, yet again, that in society, in politics, whatever, black men are still better than women. Can you imagine making a film like Moonlight about women in the same sort of relationship and all that sort of stuff? What? You can't. They would not. You could not imagine a Moonlight with women. It is like politics. It is again. Barack Obama. Well, he's black. We'll let him be president because he's still a man. But when a woman comes along, no matter what. They are bottom I'm of the not league. sure if we've got time to go through the structural racism go. versus structural sexism <laughs> well, argument. That's what that's why I thought of Moonlight. That's why I didn't like it. Okay, would well, you um, stick to your bit of fluff, which has yeah. inspired a jazz <laughs> jingle that is now going to that yes. is now linked to a question. Who sings it? Who sings it? Who's, who's, who is voicing that jingle? Which what, MP? The jazz one. Yeah. Who's it? Which MP? No idea. Any ideas, Tony? Um, is it Stuart Hosey? No, it's not. Brilliant. Rolls over for another week. It's a good... It's because uh, I, next it's week I will actually have a prize for the person who can guess it. Um, which I don't yet. Uh, I love your questions. <laughs> Last week, Carol Monaghan's question was, you're perfect... <laughs> going straight out of structural sexism, racism and the budget to, who is your perfect dinner date? <laughs> <laughs> um, either of you. Oh, I have to answer this question. Well, yeah, go on. You're welcome stupid to. questions beneath me. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> that, that, that would ruin the, the, the whole feature if everyone said that. So presumably contemporary rather than historic. Okay, any, any? Okay, um, maybe Tim Minchin. Tim Minchin? Yeah. That's an out there choice, but a good choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you seen... That would just be really interesting. Have you seen Matilda? Yes, it's it very good. good. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. If you've got kids, definitely go. But it's well, actually really an adult show. It's got a lot of... There's yeah. a lot of subtlety to it. It's really... It's, it's brilliant. Really, really good. To see it Best thing I've seen My children will be adults by the time they get tickets because it's like booking years in oh, advance. Oh, no, no, no. You can get them. I mean, when I went, I went on the day. Oh, you know? okay. Oh, maybe that's the other way to do it. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Fine. Uh, what about you? What's your answer? Oh, perfect dinner date. Oh, gold blind. Oh, my wife, obviously. <laughs> Boom! Boom! Yeah, that was quick. Well, I do have an ideal dinner date, but he's married to someone. Well, I know who your ideal dinner date is. You better not broadcast that. Best not to bring it up, really. I know who your ideal dinner date is, isn't it? David Torrance, right? I've already had dinner with David exactly. Torrance. Isn't he your ideal dinner date? Yeah. I would, I would very much. David Torrance and Margaret Thatcher. That would be your, that would be your best. I know Margaret Thatcher's an extremely strange and quite boring, monomaniacal woman. I wouldn't want to have dinner with her. Oh, okay, just, just David Torrance. Then. Um, she didn't have a sense of humour for a start. At least Torrance has got a sense of humour. Anyway, no, that's, <laughs> that's silence. Speak volumes. Uh, so yes, uh, I love your questions for next week. It uh, next week's guest should be uh, Stuart Thompson. Sausage making man extraordinaire and near neighbour of yours, Ailey. Have you got a question for him? Uh, come up with a question for Stuart. What's his favourite flavour of ice cream? Flavour of ice cream? Okay. Good question. That is a good one because you've got like an ice cream magnet there's in your area. There's lots of ice cream is and there's there? lots of little oh, you know, homemade ice cream places. No, there's, a big, there's, well, there's one big one, but that's, you know, that's distribution all lots. over the place. Uh-huh. But there's lots of little places around the coast where you can get really good homemade ice cream. Really? Yes, in Combs, Port Soy, Fraserburgh. This is like an ice Cullen. cream... Yes, yeah, there's an ice cream map of the northeast. Yeah. Oh man, I never knew this. Okay, this is, that's 
that's new new knowledge. Um, okay, if you want to get in touch to tell me the best places to find ice cream or discuss anything in this podcast or sponsor it, if you're from Mackey's Ice Cream, which is the best ice cream, obviously, um, he says trying to get sponsorship out of them, I am uh, politicalyeti at gmail.com or at politicalyeti on Twitter. And uh, tune in next week for another of Political Yeti's politics podcast. Thank you.